Well, good morning. Hey, you know, it is finally broke, right? No more snow on weekends. No more rain on weekends. Sunshine, barbecue, all that's happening, right? Isn't that great? Wow, you guys are excited about that. Maybe we should have the snow back, I guess. I don't know. Well, hey, it's good to have you here. And uh, I know it's a beautiful day out. You could be doing many other things on a beautiful morning like this, but you've chosen to gather together to worship and to seek God's word together in one heart. My name is Brian Klein, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, we're going to go right back into God's story, our story. But before we get talking about that, I do want to say congratulations to our seniors, our high school seniors. Congratulations to our UNK graduates. You have completed the course. You've, you've finished the, the race. And now work begins. Right? Now work begins. But uh, you know what I love? I love? I love about Senior Sunday here is being able to uh, see the moms frantically racing in here to get the, display, the displays up, okay? And, uh, um, and what, I, what I really enjoy the most, though, is just looking through the displays and being able to see the journey of your graduate's life. Going from, uh, from the young age through the m- middle school age to the high school age, looking forward to what lies ahead for them and the college uh, season of their life. And within that, as you look at those uh, the graduate displays, you see, you see God refining their hearts, right? You see them with his wa- eyes wide open, they're discovering things, and then, then they start locking in a little more about what they want to pursue and what they want to accomplish in their life. And you see God shaping their heart. And as parents, you're you're uh, probably glad you're at the end of this phase. Maybe you're not. It was always hard for us to always say, see our kids graduate. And uh, now, now we're grandparents, so we have to look for the next generation to graduate. Boy, does that make me old. You know, and, and I was thinking this morning, as those that are out there with the displays, they're probably, you know, maybe one or two years old when I came here first. That really makes me old. That really makes me old. So... It's, uh, it's an awesome, awesome time. Congratulations to all of you who gradu- are graduating this month. We're returning back to God's story, our story. And last month we took a little pause, but I didn't really consider it a pause from God's story to our story. It was more a, a kind of let's slow down and let's talk about what it means to really connect with God. And last we, last month we talked about what it meant to be tuned in to God, what it really meant to pray, and, and what, what was it like to hear the voice of God. Did you enjoy that series? Oh, okay. I did. I did. You guys are really kind of slow this morning. Maybe, maybe you've been out at the lake a little too long yesterday. I don't know. But uh, you know what I love about it is that we all have a tendency to tune God out. And you'll see that in Scripture. When all of a sudden, God's people start tuning God out, things start unraveling in their lives. And 
when we get tuned back into God, things start lining up again. And I love that series about what it meant to get that discipline in your life, to have that place where you and God can connect, to have that place to, to, uh, to show up, to slow up and to show up, read the word and shut up. Really, I'm serious. To just be quiet and let God move you into that journey of what he has for your life for that day and the days ahead. Valuable, valuable discipline of spiritual growth this last month. Hope you're putting that into practice. We're moving right into God's story, our story. We're going to be talking about David after man, God's own heart. And the only way that I could really kind of bring you up to speed with where we are as we've been going through Scripture in doing that is to turn to the book of Acts. If you turn to your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 13, Paul is talking to the church of Antioch, and actually, I believe Paul's kind of doing what we're doing. He's, kind of, he's taking the people, the Gentiles and the, the Jews in the, in the church in Antioch, and he's, he's given them a kind of a, a, a journey through God's story, their story, and he's helping to remind them about what God's journey has been throughout the beginning of time up to the time in the Church of Acts, as well as for us today in 2018. So if we take, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse starting with 16, and uh, then at the tail end, the verses will, that I'm going to be focusing on will come up on the screen. But follow along with me. Paul is talking here, and it says, Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand, and said, so he motioned with his hand that was kind of like, it's time to be quiet. I got something I want to say. Okay? And he says, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the Father of Israel chose our fathers. Remember we talked about that? Adrian talked about that going back, talking about God choosing Israel through, you know, Jacob and and Abraham, all that process. So he, he's, he's reminding them that, that God chose them as a nation. And he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Do you remember the story of Joseph? And as he talked about Joseph being called, and he, was, he, he rose up to be the king alongside Potiphar there. And, and the people grew and prospered there, the, the nation of Israel. But as they grew and prospered, things changed and they became in bondage and enslaved, right? They became in bondage and enslaved by Pharaoh. And, and he talks here that uh, their stay in Egypt, that he made the people prosper during their stay there. And with mighty power, he led them out of the country. And he's, re he's reminding them of the Passover. He's reminding them of when they, when they, they uh, took the blood of the lamb and put it on the do top of the doorpost and the, on the side, and, and the angel of death passed by, and that's when Pharaoh finally said, you could be free, you could be free. And they are freed from the bondage. 
What a reminder for us that the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is the one that can free us from our bondage, free us from our past, free us from all, all the stuff, the power that is there that, that would set us free. Jesus set us free from that which we are enslaved to. And then he delivered Israel to the Red Sea, part of the water, provided manna and water, protected them as they journeyed through the wilderness. Have you ever gone, have you ever been on a spiritual wilderness journey? It's kind of tough, isn't it? Kind of dry, kind of plugging along, just wondering where God is. And all the, just the, just the general simple things of life are being provided like manna and water. And there's nothing really to get excited about. And that was their journey in the wilderness. And God was there in the midst of that. And you may be there today. You may be in that journey today. You may be in that wilderness moment. But don't, don't ever think that God has ever left. Don't ever think that the manna that you're getting for today, uh, that you're maybe getting tired of, that it's just not much more. It's, can there be much more than this, God? You may be saying that. You know, Israel grumbled. Did you, did you grumble in the wilderness? Anybody else out there? Man, you guys are, you guys are all good. I grumble when I'm in the wilderness. I grumble. God, in his way, meets me where I am, shows me the way. And then, as they journey through the wilderness, he brings them to this, this, this critical moment. It says in verse 19, He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. Remember the promise that God had a land for them, a place flowing with milk and honey. That God was a fulfiller of his promise. Just know this, church, just know this, that God fulfills his promises. God fulfills his promises. It may not look like we want it to look. It may not happen when we want it to happen. But I'll tell you this, you keep trusting God, God will fulfill his promises. And they walked into the promised land. Now look what it says. And he overthrew seven nations. How did he do that? Well, he caused walls to tumble down in Jericho. He caused the sun to stand still. He caused them to clash pots together and throw up torches and caused the armies to attack themselves. I mean, God did crazy things to provide for his people. And you know, sometimes God's going to provide in ways that you're just going to be like, I didn't expect it to look like that. And God's going to say, that's because I'm God. You just trust me. And I'll be there for you. And I'll, I'll fulfill my promise in your life. And then there came this moment, as Adrian left off about a month ago in the book of Judges. Israel's in the promised land, and they're enjoying the land flown with milk and honey, and they're getting kind of soft, okay? They're kind of relaxing. They're kind of kicking back. And all of a sudden, a generation has passed by, and that generation has gone, 
And the next generation did not hear about the great things that God had done. And all of a sudden, that next generation started to do what was right in their own eyes. And God raised up judges. And we were in the book of Judges for a while where God brought judges in to be able to speak to the people that were wondering, that were all of a sudden not tuned into God. They were tuning themselves out from God. And when they were tuning themselves out, they decided they were going to do things their way. Have you ever decided to do things your way? Anybody else? I've done that. God, let me help you. Let me help you with this one. Okay? So he tuned them out. And then it says here, starting with, uh, and it says, and after this, God gave them the judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king. And he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and he testified concerning him, I have what? Found, I had what? Found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Man, God moved from the greatest leader for them to wanting to be, all of a sudden Israel saying, you know what, Samuel, we want a king just like all the other kings. What I love about that verse where it says God found it's kind of like God went on a search, right? God went on a look. God went on a recruiting binge to find the, the, the best quarterback that he could find that was going to be the king, that was going to lead the people. He was on a search after Saul. In fact, in Second Chronicles 16.9, it says this, For the eyes of the Lord range, thro- Lord ranges throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are what? Fully committed to him. Well, this past year, the beginning of Forge, we talked about what, as men, what what does it take to be a, a man after God's own heart? Now, we didn't really look at David's life, but we talked about, man, men, are we really full in, fully devoted men after God's own heart? And so, uh, you know, we start talking about, are we really fully in love with God? Is our heart fully in love with God? And so, so I, I start thinking, you know, how can I show that? And then all of a sudden I go, man, I love Snickers. And I got to thinking about Snickers, and I got to thinking about, man, Snickers comes in all kinds of different sizes, don't they? And so I start thinking about, you know what? That's kind of the process God took me through. You know, God... God took me through the bite size. He took me through the bite size phase of the snicker. I I just got a taste of Jesus as a young boy at 12 years of age. I got a taste of him. But I, I, you know what? And sometimes that's all, sometimes that's where we just end up. We receive Jesus and then we stop. We don't go anywhere. We say, well, I, I taste it. I know I'm going to heaven. And so, but God says, you know what? I don't, want, I don't want you to be sitting there at the bite-sized stage of knowing Jesus. In fact, I want you to grow. And I want you to grow and get to know me more. And so then 
Maybe as you grow, you start discovering the fun size. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And as, as you're growing, and then as you look on the other side of the Snickers, they even have them marked for you. Like this one says, snarky. Maybe you're getting a little snarky in your spiritual life. A little, a little, a little sarcastic about God. And maybe, maybe you find God in your snarky moments. And you grow and you start falling in love a little more with God, but that's not enough. This, doesn't, this only satisfies for the moment. It only satisfies you. And so there's that bite size, there's that fun size, and then maybe there's this, there's this regular size where all of a sudden you've, you've grown and you've discovered more and more about the love of God and, and you, you, you're enjoying it and, it and you're finding that he is satisfying you. He satisfies all your needs. And, and you get into these Bible study groups. You start going to church and, and you do all these things and you're learning so much, but you're just staying right there. Let me stay in my holy huddle. Let me stay with all my good friends. And let's just stay comfortable here. I like this. this is, let's stay regular with everybody else. Let's stay the same. But really what God really wants us to do God really wants us to seek him with a full, committed heart. And our challenge to the men was, hey, why don't we all decide to be a king-size heart for God? That's a one-pound snicker bar right there, I'm telling you. All right, you can chew on that for a while. And what we did with this is that we said, you know, every man is doing something that has a king-size calling in their life. And so we handed about five of these out. And we said, what we're going to do this year is we're going to speak king-size calling into another man. And you're going to receive the king-size snicker bar. And you're to carry that, but you're going to look for another man that you're going to call out into forge. And you're going to speak a king-size calling into their lives. And so the idea was is that men were supposed to be sharing their candy bar with one another. And I started getting contacts from guys saying, you know, where did you get that candy bar? Because, um, well... Um, I, you know, I put it in the glove compartment and a mouse ate it. I've had all excuses. But listen, God wants us to pursue a king-sized heart for him. Now, it's all a process, right? And listen, graduates, you've, you're going to go through a process of this. No matter if you graduated from high school or graduated from college, what you do in each of these phases prepares you to be able to have a king-sized heart. But if you ever stop and just say, that's enough for me, that's only going to be enough for you, and you're not going to experience anything bigger or greater than what God has for you that be fully committed that he wants to do through your life. Now, we're going to look at the life of David. And I, I said to Adrian, I said, man, Adrian, what, what, are you, what are you trying to do to me, man? You, you've given me to talk about the life of David in one Sunday on Communion Sunday, which is the shortest Sunday to give a sermon. And a guy that covers so much of the Bible. In fact, let me give you a little bit of facts just so that you know what I'm talking about. 
There's more space in the Bible devoted to David than any other person, even Jesus. David is mentioned more in the Bible than even Jesus is mentioned. His life is covered in four books in the Old Testament. Four. There's 66 Old Testament chapters that reference David. In 59 New Testament references to David. His writings occupy 73 chapters of the Bible, possibly written two-thirds of the book of Psalms. And now today, I've got 15 minutes to tell you about David. So buckle your seatbelts, let's go. David, if you would look at his graduate display, if, it, if his display was set up, it would be like this shepherd boy. And we're going to look at various phases of him pursuing God after his own heart as a shepherd boy, as a, as a, as a giant killer, as a man that stood toe-to-toe to a giant. And then he moved to be a man that even under assault and, and being mistreated and attacked, God grew his heart in that. And then he became this man after God's own heart. Even in his moral failure, we're going to look at how God still, at the end of the display, all the things that David accomplished through his journey of life, all it comes down to is God says, you're a man after my own heart in all of that. So let's go. Let's, let's begin. Four principles of what caused David to be a man after God's own heart. Number one is this. The first principle is this, that the person after God's own heart lives for God's presence and not for man's applause. Lives for God's presence and not for man's applause. 1 Samuel 16, 11 through 12. Samuel now is, is uh, uh, God calls Samuel, he's the prophet, right? And he's telling Samuel, Samuel, you need to go to Bethlehem, to Jesse's house, and you're going to anoint the new king for Israel. And so Samuel, the obedient prophet, goes to where? To Bethlehem. What else happens in Bethlehem? Jesus is born. So David is, is kind of this forerunner of Jesus, right? Jesus comes from the lineage of David. It all ties together beautifully. So he goes to Bethlehem. And he sits down in, in Jesse's house and he says, Hey, I've come here to anoint the next king. I want to see your sons. And so Eliab comes up and he says, oh, that's got to be him. That man, he's got, he's got the looks, he's got the stature, he looks like a king. And God says to Samuel, no. Man looks at the outward appearance, but Samuel, I want you to know this. I'm looking for a king-sized heart in a man. So Eliab, Eliab was a no. Next son, no. Next son, no. And seven of his sons walk by. Jesse brings seven of his sons in. They all walk by, and they're all a no. And then it comes to verse 11 of of Samuel 16. And so Samuel asked Jesse, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse answered, well, they're still the youngest, but he is tending his sheep. Samuel said, well, send for him. He will, we will not sit down until he arrives. And then when David shows up, he says, rise, anoint him. He is the one. 
there's something beautiful that happens here. Something that's really kind of heart-wrenching at, at one point, but beautiful at the other. Notice that seven of the brothers go by, and finally Samuel has to say to Jesse, Jesse, don't you have any more sons? God's given me seven no's. And he told me it was going to be here. And, and he had to ask Jesse. You would have thought Jesse would have said, hey, Eliab, go get David. You know, it looks like we're all striking out here. You know, David, one more. He's another one of our sons. But he doesn't tell him. He says, he says well, they're still the youngest, but. I love that word, but. It's kind of like, hey, I would have invited you to the party, but I forgot. You know, have you ever been on that end? Have you ever had that, oh, you know what, I'm so sorry, but, you know, uh, you know, I just overlooked it. Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever been forgotten? Here's little David out there tending the sheep, taking his sling and practicing, throwing his stones, practicing on his harp. And I can imagine little David maybe possibly singing, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And all of a sudden hearing, Dave, hey, Davy, Davy, what? Dad wants you. Come on in. Oh, and he runs into the house. And as he walks into the house, immediately God touches Samuel and says, that's the one. That's the one. And here's the principle of David being overlooked, overshadowed, forgotten, being on the other side of, but he's just a shepherd boy type thing. Here's the principle. What initially looks like humiliation is really God's preparation in our lives for the acceleration of a king-sized calling. What really looks like humiliation right here I just feel so insignificant. I'm never invited to be a part of all the big groups. I'm kind of overlooked all the time. Yet in that moment, if your heart is right, God can start to do a preparation for you to accelerate you into the greater calling that he has down the path. And God saw something in little David at that little moment. and says, you know, there's something in that heart that I want to... Stop and go, whoa, there's a man after my own heart. There's a young boy after my own heart. And I'm going to strengthen that heart. And he's going to be the greatest king Israel's ever had. And you know what? He wants to do that for you and for you and for all of you today as well. You may feel insignificant and small, overlooked, overshadowed. You may have been promised things that never came together. But you know what God says? You know I want you to know, I see a heart fully committed. And God calls him out. Didn't matter what dad thought. I can only imagine what happened after that day, right? How much David got along with his older brothers. Probably not a good thing. You know, you would have thought David would have probably went, Oh, man, I'm going to be anointed the future king. So here, God, here, Dad, here's my staff. Here's my, you know, all my shepherding stuff, equipment. Here, you know, I'm done. I'm done, Dad. You know, I'm going to be the next king. But no, David doesn't do that. He goes back and he shepherds his sheep. And he waits. And he waits. 
His heart doesn't change. And he falls in love with God more and more and more during that time. Until one day, David, David's dad, Jesse, said, Hey, David, you know what? There's a war going on between the Philistine army and, and Israel. And I want you to go check it out. So, hey, I packed some stuff for your brothers. Here's some bread for the brothers, and here's some cheese that we, I want you to give to the captains, the head cheeses. The head cheese. Some cheese for the head cheese. And so he does. He goes to where the battle was being happening, and he hears Goliath saying some taunting words about Israel's God. The second point is this. The second point for David is this, is that the person after God's own heart, when he gives 100% in worship, results in an active, obedient trust in God's work. 100% in worship, resulting in an active, obedient trust in God's work. You see, if David's heart wasn't growing in love with God while he was a shepherd boy, and he heard the taunting of Goliath, he would have responded just as all the other guys from Israel and the Israel army. They, they cowered in fear. But not David. He hears the Philistine Goliath laying the smack down about Israel's God. And David was like going, what is going on here? Why are we letting this man talk down the God that I love? You see, if you had a bite-sized heart, you would have probably just said, oh, well, sorry, and just walked away. If you would have had a regular snack heart, you would have said, wow, you know, I think you're just overstretching it a little bit, Goliath. You know, God really isn't. Or if you would have been regular, you would have hung out with everybody and said, I can't believe this Goliath guy. He's just really beating up our God. What are we going to do? But not David. He, he journeys all the way through that, and he says, you know what? He goes to Saul. What does he say to Saul? Hey, Saul, I want you to know. Do not, do not know this, that Israel will not need to be in fear, lose fear in God anymore. I will go and fight the king. And he goes and he fights the king. You see, David said to Saul, and Saul said, you can't fight the king. You can't fight Goliath. You can't fight Goliath. There's no way. You're not equipped for that. And David said to Saul, listen, your servant has been keeping the father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came, and I was tending sheep, and he came and he took a lamb, I just didn't go, oh, doggone it, I lost another lamb. No, I went after it. Notice what he does here. I love this. I went after it. I struck it. And I rescued the sheep from his mouth. And then when it turned on me, oh, I just grabbed it by the hair, smacked a good one and killed it. And then he says this, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of those. You see, it was what David experienced in the journey here that allowed him to be the, the, the king-sized heart, to be boldly standing in a Goliath and say, I'm going to stand in the name of my living God, and I'm going to stand and I'm going to win this victory over this giant in my life. What, what gets to you? What causes your heart to shrink? What causes your heart to shrink back? You see, 
Selfishness shrinks the heart where exaltation of God expands the heart. When you actively choose to worship God, it creates room in your heart for God. And sometimes you have to force yourself to do that. I had to do that about a week ago. I was in a spiritual, emotional, mental funk. If I could say that, I just did. And I was in a funk. And I shut everybody out. And I was going like, I'm going to wrestle this all through myself. I'm going to do this all by myself. And, you know, and finally, things just started getting worse and worse. And finally, I said, you know what? I've got to turn worship music on. And I forced myself to listen to worship music. I didn't want to do it inside. My flesh was going, no, 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 you don't need that. And I turned worship music on, and all of a sudden, things started clearing up. My heart started to enlarge, and then I was humble enough to be able to reach out to some of my men and say, could you pray for me? I'm under spiritual oppression right now. And bing, bang, the text came flying, and all of a sudden it dissipated. Listen, I'm telling you, when you worship God, he enlarges your heart to receive that which you need the power and strength to face and to free you from the oppression in your life. Now, you would have thought things went really well for David at that point, right? I mean, he killed Goliath. You know, he, he, he won the battle over the Philistine army. People are singing praises. Hey, David has killed his tens of thousands. Yeah, Saul has killed his thousands. And everything should be going great. And it's at that moment of greatness that our hearts are tested the most. It's when things are all of a sudden, you're getting that applause from man. Does it alter where you are with your God? And this is the third point here. The person after God's heart is full of reckless love, even when mistreated and attacked. Have you ever been at a moment where you've had a spiritual great weekend and maybe God's done something great in your life and the next day you're going, what in the world's happened? I'm under attack and I'm fighting with things that I've never fought with before. And that's what happened with David. And as he was getting all the praise, Saul's heart was getting angry. Saul the king was getting angry with David. In fact, it says throughout it, and you can read it in Scripture, that he was in fear of David because he knew that people were being drawn to David. And Saul was so consumed with the applause of man that it was, he was getting jealous, and he was doing everything he can to try to kill David. Look what it says here. While David was playing his harp, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. Jealousy in such a point, saying, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him. And look what it says. David eluded him twice. It's kind of like, whoop, 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 whoop. You know, it's just kind of like, he missed both times. David comes back and he plays the harp again. He misses and David eludes it again. And then in chapter 23, verse 9, it says that David learned that Saul was plotting against him to kill him. And David was on the run. I love this story. When you read from 23 on, it's like the Jason Bourne of the Old Testament. You know, you know Jason Bourne, he just kind of shows up. You know, they're trying to kill him, but then he kind of shows up and says, hey, I'm over here, you know? And so... 
there's these moments where David's hiding in the cave and Saul's chasing him and David's in the cave at one place and Saul comes in to do some of his own personal business, so to speak. And, and he's doing his business and his buddies with David are kind of nudging him going, David, now's the time. Saul's been making your life miserable. He's been mistreating you. He's been attacking you. Here's your time to really take him out. And David says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then in verse 20, chapter 24, verse 10, David says this, The day you have seen with your own eyes, he says this to Saul, how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave, and some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I will not lift up my hand against my master, because he is the Lord's anointed. How did David, under all these personal attacks, being mistreated, being attacked, how did David keep his heart right in the midst of that? Because that's really hard to do, isn't it? Really hard to do. You look at Psalm 25, you find the secret. In Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, David does this in the cave as he's being chased down to have his life being killed and snuffed out by Saul. David says this, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame. Help me not to make foolish decisions, God. Nor let my enemies triumph over me. I don't want the enemy to win either. And then in verse 3 and 4, he says this, God, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all the day long. God, my hope is in you all the day long. In the midst of running from being attacked and mistreated, I'm trusting you. That's how David managed to keep his heart right. In the midst of all the personal attacks of someone that was hating him and wanting to ruin his life. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And David did that time and time again with Saul. And David did well, and Saul finally died. And David becomes the king, and he has all these great victories, and then becomes the biggest crash of David's life. David's doing really well, and he all of a sudden decides that he's going to take some time off, and Go home and spend some time in the castle. Not be in the battlefront, like in, into the rhythm of what he's been doing, of trusting God. And he, he decided not to, not to do that, and all of a sudden he became vulnerable. And all of a sudden he, he looks and he, he lusts. And instead of listening and being tuned into God's heart, he was tuned into his flesh. And then he, as he tuned God out, he started listening to his flesh, and his flesh moved into committing adultery with Bathsheba. And then all of a sudden, news came out of what happened with that. Then he started manipulating to try to cover up what, what his sin was. And so he had you, you know, Uriah killed and, and murdered, and he's holding on to this. And David's heart went from a king-sized heart, a man that trusted God in all the attacks. And when things got good, all of a sudden, started shrinking away and became this little teeny heart of love for God. Until Nathan came and said to him, David, 
you have sinned a great sin. And David took that challenge, took that confrontation, and said, you know, you are right. I have sinned against the Lord. And then, in Psalm 32, in Psalm 32, describes this. I just have to share this with you because it describes what happens to all of us. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. That's David writing about this in his psalm. That's David writing what he's going through. Have you ever had a sin in your life that you've covered up and you've just kind of kept to yourself? David describes it so well. It's like this weight and it just weighs on your bones. It just weighs on your heart. Until someone finally says, you know what, there's something in your life you need to finally let God have. And then David says, then I acknowledge my sin to you, God, and did not cover up my iniquity anymore. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 51 is filled with that as well. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Return to me the joy of my salvation. On and on throughout that. Now, I want to close it out with this. As we've looked at David's journey real quick here in different phases, I want you to look at the tales of two hearts as we prepare for the Lord's table. Now, as we prepare for the Lord's table, this isn't about condemnation whatsoever, but it's about being able to understand where is your heart with God? Where, Where are you with God? Saul's heart started shrinking because he had a fear of man. David's heart grew because he had a fear of God. Saul's heart was a worrier. He started worrying about everything. David's heart was a worshiper in the midst of his challenges and testings of life. He would go to God and he would worship and give them to God. Saul's heart was thirsty for man's applause. David's heart was thirsty for God's presence. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Saul's heart was paranoid. David's heart was peaceful. Saul's heart was a rage of jealousy. Comparing himself with others, David's heart was filled with love. Didn't matter what anybody else said. He was going to return love instead. Saul's heart was self-preserving. He was going to blame everybody else. He's trying to save himself and save how he looked to others. David's heart was a humble, repenting, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. I've sinned against God. We come to the Lord's table. Come to the Lord's table because Jesus says when we come to the Lord's table, we're to remember what he has done for us. We have a tendency to do just like Israel did at the beginning. We have a tendency to take the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, and we have a tendency to all of a sudden say, you know what, we want another king. We want someone else to rule our life. I want to rule my life. And Jesus says when we come to the Lord's table, I just want you to remember this, that Jesus came with a king-sized heart, a heart of love for you. And he was willing to sacrifice all of that for you and for me. He gave his flesh on our behalf for you 
for me. He gave his blood for us. Let me ask you where your heart is today. And where your heart is today is an opportunity for you to be able to say, God, I've got to confess this just like David did. I acknowledge it. I know where my heart is right now. Will you take it? I'm going to give it to you and you and you'll create in me a clean heart. Okay, God? So as we come up for to take communion, I want you to just pause for just a moment here, quietly, in prayer. And I want you to think about where your heart is. A little introspection for yourself. Where maybe your heart has maybe shrunk a little bit or where does it need to grow a little more? And then we're going to partake of the communion, okay? So in quietness, we will spend time reflecting and asking God to show our heart.